You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I saw the show. I thought about not playing a clip because you know what? I don't want to hear his voice. I really don't even want to say his name. I've tried to avoid using his name here on my podcast or in print, but here we are. So if you don't want to hear Milo Yiannopoulos' voice, not because you're easily triggered, my show is not for the easily triggered, and not because you're a snowflake or a cuck or whatever the alt-right slash white nationalist slash neo-Nazi insult of the day happens to be, you might want to skip this week's intro. So Milo was on real time on Friday night doing his step and felt shit routine, mincing British queen says hateful, bigoted, racist, sexist, transphobic, risible things. And when someone tries to call him on his bullshit, he talks over the interviewer and the other guests. He changes the subject. He tosses out a fake statistic that can't be fact checked on the fly. All of these moves straight out of the right wing media training playbook. All Milo adds is a pair of studiously limp wrists, a pound of makeup, and a few strands of pearls. It is an act. It is an act that says, you shouldn't take me seriously. I'm just a faggy-ass clown. And while you're laughing at the faggy-ass clown, while you're distracted by the faggy-ass clown act, the faggy-ass clown injects toxins into our political discourse. If there's anything we should know now, right now in America, after seeing a straighty-ass reality show rape clown get elected president, it's that we have to start taking these shitty right-wing clowns seriously. We can't be distracted by their acts anymore. So let's take this clown Milo seriously for a moment. Bill Maher has always loved a good gay joke. Me too. But this time, Bill was distracted by the gay joke sitting in front of him. And unfortunately, on Friday night, Bill's usually reliable, usually Teflon bullshit detectors failed him. He couldn't distinguish between a good gay joke and the toxic gay shit sitting in front of him. So Bill allowed Milo to get away with styling himself as a free speech martyr and a humorist. Bill even compared Milo to Joan Rivers, the comedian. Now, Milo's act is ridiculous. It is a clown show, but he is not a comedian. And there's nothing funny about Milo or his act. There's nothing funny about his racism or his sexism or his xenophobia or his anti-trans bigotry, which got the most airtime on Friday night. Um, I make no apologies for um, protecting women and children right, from men pro- who are confused about their sexual identity. Well, I'm confused about who this is because pronouns are so important. If you call Caitlyn Jenner he or a bad person. So yeah, this I is did a, it on purpose. You did. So this yeah, is a man I mis- who... I misgendered yeah, right, this person. Right. So this is a man, born man, who, who wants thinks to... that he might be a girl. Okay. And, and you um, have a problem with that. No, I don't have a problem with it, but I think that women and, ch- and, and girls should be protected from having people, who, men who are confused about their sexual identities in their bathrooms. That that's, person... That's not unreasonable. That person... No, actually, 
That is unreasonable. And Milo should have been called on it. And thank God, Larry Wilmore was on the panel. (laughs) I just think it's sad because the same arguments that we use against gay people, treating them like aliens who just wanted to fuck anything that moved, and that's why we should have fucked them at all costs. (laughs) No, I think there's a big difference. As I said on Real Time the last time I was on the show, the same arguments being used against trans people today were used against gay men decades ago. Oh, they're a danger to men and boys. They lurk in bathrooms. They're demanding access to public spaces, to public restrooms, to schools, to Boy Scout troops, because they want to prey on children. It was bullshit when those lies were used to attack gay men, and it's bullshit now that those lies are being repackaged and used to attack trans women today. And it's not just garden variety, whatever, political bullshit. It is dangerous bullshit. Right-wing assholes keep hammering away at the threat posed by trans people using public toilets, when in reality, trans men and women, particularly trans women, are at higher risk of violent attack, hate crimes, and murder than any other group. Trans women of color at highest risk. And while it's true that cis women and trans women are sometimes attacked in public toilets, these attacks are perpetrated by cis men, not trans women. You don't have to take my word for it. Google this shit. Google woman or girl assaulted in public restroom, and you will find a lot of stories, a lot of them, a depressing number of them, and all of them are about straight cis men attacking women and girls in public restrooms. You want to make the world a safer place for women and girls? Make it a crime for cis men to use public toilets. Now, this bullshit argument, this lie that trans women are really male sexual predators prowling ladies' rooms... It amounts in the end to an anti-trans blood libel. It justifies and leads to violent attacks against trans women. And any gay person who makes this argument, he needs to have his cocksucking mouth slapped off his lying face. This argument, this lie, it does not protect women. It gets women killed. And Milo knows it and he doesn't care and he's gleefully cashing in on it. Because there's nothing the right wing loves to throw money at more than a black person willing to say black people are the real racists or a queer person willing to say queer people are the real threat. And if that wasn't bad enough, unbelievably, Milo went on later to assert that trans people are disproportionately involved in sexual assault, which is not true. It is another lie, another big dangerous lie. And if you watch the show, Milo's deployment of this lie was again straight out of the right-wing media playbook. He threw it out there, he called it a statistic, and there was no pushback because he couldn't be fact-checked in real time. So the damage was done in real time on real time. Thank God, again, Larry Wilmore was on the panel. Wait, hold on, Bill. You can go fuck yourself, all right? Yeah. If your argument is that these people are stupid, you didn't hear a word this man said no. early in this segment because yes. he can talk circles around your right. pathetic, this guy. douchey little ass for me. I was going to end there with that very satisfying cheer, but postscript, while I was sitting down to work on the opening of today's show, A video surfaced, two videos surfaced of Milo defending sex between adult men and 13-year-old boys. I could play a clip of that tape too, but you know what? I'm not going to. We've had enough Milo for one day. If you want to hear that, you can Google it yourself. But it has to be noted quickly, on Real Time Friday night, Milo attacked trans women and said he was doxing and outing trans women who he insists are men to stop them from raping children. And then it comes out that Milo, more than once, 
has defended adult men having sex with 13 and 14 year old boys. Ugh. Take it away, Larry. You can go fuck yourself, all right? Yeah. You know? That needed to be said. Thank you, Larry. Thank you so much. Okay, on the free micro edition of the Savage Lovecast this week, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and on the subscription magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, professional dominatrix Justine Cross joins me to field a few questions. To subscribe to the Magnum Savage Lovecast, go to savagelovecast.com. Hello, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I am a 39-year-old, straight, married male. I also run a small business, and the question is actually uh, about my assistant manager. He's also a late 30s, straight male. He's in a heterosexual relationship with a, a woman who uh, is, is violently abusive towards him. You know, he's, he's, he's uh, been with her for about a year. Uh, I know of at least five occurrences, you know, where this has happened, uh, what's obvious just from the, the, the black eyes and broken noses and the claw marks. And, you know, I've, I've, I've sat down with him. I've, I've told him that, you know, I, I know, you know what's really going on. He didn't really fall down some stairs. And, you know, I've had to had customers that, you know, regular clients and customers that, you know, have, have asked about, you know, what's happening with them. And I, I find myself having to, feed them the, the same lines and, and you know just kind of cover up this this abuse and I, I know the man is is socially awkward you know and and doesn't really have a support network of people to you know help him out but but he is a valuable you know, member of my operation and i really need to help him and I, i've told him you know when this happened again uh, right around christmas I, I told him that you know he, he really needs to to end it with this girl, you know, it's not going to get any better. And, you know, he, he said he would, and I've come to find out he is not. And it's getting to where I, 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 my operation cannot have this continue going on, but I think about replacing them over this, you know, I, I think to myself, if this was happening to a female employee of mine, you know, that this wouldn't even be an issue. I, I would be moving up in earth and doing whatever I could. Uh, but it, it, I, I, I have no idea what to do. Abuse victims, when confronted, particularly by coworkers, not family members, will often leap to the defense of the person who is abusing them or deny that they're being abused at all, maybe because they feel ashamed of themselves, maybe they don't want to be seen as what they are as a, a victim. Maybe they fear the end of the relationship despite the abuse because they're economically dependent or socially or sexually dependent on their abuser. So it's a really good sign that when you pulled this guy aside and confronted him, he didn't deny that he was being abused. He agreed with you when you said he needed to get out of this relationship. He didn't dispute your characterization of the relationship as abusive he didn't get out of it over the holidays. He didn't get out of it right away as quickly as you would have wished, but you've planted a seed. He knows he needs to get out of it and you got to step up for this guy. You say that he's isolated. It sounds like he's isolated everywhere, but at work where he has a relationship with you. If there is a position that you can move him to for the time being where he doesn't have face-to-face -face interactions with clients, please consider doing so. If you know that he has 
family that he's not in touch with or that he may be estranged from, that she may have engineered his isolation from, reach out to them. Step up. Also, it's time to call the police. Sometimes law enforcement doesn't take it seriously when a man is the victim of domestic violence. But I think with you there making the call, another man standing there making the call, a witness, likelier to be taken seriously, unfortunately. You wish that weren't the case, but likelier to be taken seriously. So step up. Call the police. When he comes in and he is battered and bruised, call the police. Tell him you are calling the police. Tell him you're going to call the police each and every time it happens and that the police are going to come and talk to him. And hopefully you live in a city or a state that has domestic violence laws that take into account the fact that people will often defend their abuser. So police will intervene. Police will make an arrest to protect the victim, even if the victim is denying as they stand there with a black eye and a broken nose covered in scratches that they were abused at all. So you really do need to call the police. And I think you should tell him that his job is at stake. Perhaps that will motivate him finally to do something to gather up his courage and his strength, to lean on you a little bit, to avail himself of the services of the police. So they can connect him with abuse victim services in your area and get the fuck away from this violent, toxic woman. Hi, Dan. And a tech savvy at Rescue. I have a new partner and the sex is really great. However, I can't really come without touching myself while we're having PIV sex. And even when I do that, I have to like clench my eyes shut and play my masturbate reel in my head the whole time. It's fine and it works and it's fun that we come together and I come every time we have sex. But it also makes me wonder if it's a bad habit that I should try to break because I definitely disconnect from the moment when I do it. I'd love to learn how to come just from being in the moment, whether or not I'm touching myself. Any advice? I'm glad that you don't feel conflicted about touching yourself. There are a lot of women out there who need to touch themselves during PIV intercourse in order to come or need their partners to touch them or need to apply a vibrator in order to climax during PIV and they feel very self-conscious about it. They feel like they're doing something wrong. I will sometimes direct these women to gay pornography. Watch the guy doing PIA. Watch the guy getting penis and assed. Watch the guy getting fucked. And what he's doing as he's getting fucked often is stroking himself. Unselfconsciously, unapologetically, the guy fucking his ass doesn't feel like he's doing anal sex wrong because the guy he's fucking has to resort to stroking his dick. And what is a dick but a great big clit? Look at that guy. Look at that gay guy getting his ass fucked. He's playing with his giant clit. Ladies, you shouldn't feel at all self-conscious while you're getting your twat fucked or your ass fucked about playing with your clit. Just like the fags do. Play with your clit. But that's not a problem. That's not the problem here. You are not conflicted about that. You are, I think, rightly troubled about having to zoom out of the moment into your masturbatory loop, into the tape in your head, into your solodex. And yeah, that is a little disconcerting, maybe depressing, that you have to disengage from the sex, from the moment you're in, and concentrate on the porn loop, and concentrate on your fantasy. So how do you retrain your brain and retrain your junk? Well, I think you play with your clit while you're getting fucked, and force yourself to keep your eyes open. It'll help if you can tell your partner what you've been doing and what you've always done with all your partners, that you rely on this tape loop in your head while you play with your clit, while you're getting fucked, and you kind of pull out of the moment. You withdraw. Because what you need him to do is to keep you in the moment, to keep you engaged. And the way to do that is 
dirty fucking talk. If your eyes are wide open and you're looking into his eyes as he fucks you and you guys are talking to each other, dirty talking about what you're doing or dirty talking about the stuff that you're going to do in the future together, dirty talking about those fantasies. That's the bridge for you. Rather than saying, here are my fantasies, here are my go-to dirty thoughts, mental images that help me climax. I'm going to throw those all in the trash bin and I'm going to just stare at my partner's neck or face or think about how sexy they are or this is. No, 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 no. The bridge, the, the training wheels that'll help you get into the moment is look at your partner and have your partner talk to you about your tape reel a little bit. Talk about your fantasies. Talk about the things that turn you on. Talk about the things that, that help to get you there and fold them into that moment with your partner. So you're in both places at once. You are present with your partner, conversing with your partner, dirty talking, fucking your partner, playing with your clit. Also tossing around these dirty images and thoughts and ideas and fantasies and past experiences, whatever you need to kick around in that moment to get you there. And then hopefully you can do that a little less and less over time. Not the talking, not the being present, not the eye contact, but the invoking of these fantasies, these go-to mental images that you can pair those away in time and talk less about what you might like to do or have done or want to do with them, but talk more about what you are doing in that moment with them. And that'll help bridge the gap for you. And you will be climaxing while you play with your clit. Don't stop playing with your clit and very much in the moment. Hi, Stan. I'm a 28 year old female from um, the West coast of Florida. And I just have a question. I don't know who the asshole is in this situation if it's me and my friend. So my best friend from years and years and years, uh, she's bisexual. She's had a lot of serious boyfriends, not a serious girlfriend, but when we go out, we'll go out just the two of us a lot and we'll kind of um, like get really affectionate. And when I'm drunk, like I like to make out with her and you know, all, all that stuff and hold her hand. And we very much act like a couple. And it's really fun and it's never been a problem until recently. She's been really um, lonely, you know, she really wants relationships, having a hard time with one, and she's getting really angry with me because I don't want to, like, try any girl stuff with her. Like, like I'll kiss her, I'll make out with her, I'll hold her, we'll cuddle, we'll watch TV, but especially when I'm sober, the last thing I want to do is touch her vagina. It freaks me out. But see, when we're out, she encourages it and likes it. But then the next day, she gets really upset with me and mad at me that I won't give it a chance. And sometimes she gets a little too pushy, and I end up getting mad at her because it's not something I want to do. And I feel really, you know, pushed, and I appreciate that. But I don't know if I'm wrong or she's wrong. What do I do? We go out all the time. We drink a lot. We hang out a lot on the weekends, especially just us two, because we don't agree a lot on, you know, our mutual friends. So a lot of times it's just us two. Even if it's not just us two, we do tend to fall back on kind of acting like we're dating. So I don't know, you know, I don't want to stop going out with her. And I told her everything I can think of that, you know, hey, I really enjoy it, and it's really fun at nighttime when we're drinking, but the next day, those feelings just go away, and she gets really mad at me, so I don't know what to do. I don't want this to be weird, you know? I don't ever want to try anything with her, besides the fact that I don't want to, I don't want to make our friendship weird. You don't want this to be weird? Too fucking late. This is weird, and it's 
kind of not very nice of you. You asked me to issue a ruling. Who's the asshole? You're the asshole. I don't think your assholery in this instance is fully conscious. I don't think it's malicious, but it's certainly thoughtless. Let's think this through. You think you're toying with her body when you're out and you are pretending to date, when in actuality, as she experiences it, you are toying with her emotions. You act like you're dating her for fun because you're drunk and that's the end of it for you. She acts like she's dating you and she hopes that that's the start of something potentially. So now that you know this, now that you know that this fun is painful for your friend, it has to fucking stop as much as you might enjoy it. If you continue to enjoy it, if you continue to take advantage of your friend in this way that leaves her in pain and hurt and feeling rejected, you are not then a thoughtless asshole. You are just an asshole because now you know. Now you have to think about the things that I told you. Now you know what you're doing. And I don't think you were doing it maliciously. You were just heteroflexible and young and dumb and fun, but she is bisexual and she is obviously attracted to you. And all of these interactions fuel her desire for you and her desire to be in a relationship with you that you have no interest in being in. So you got to knock it the fuck off. You have to establish some boundaries with this friend. You need to say to her, all of this homosocial contact, all of this cuddling, all of these displays of affection meant one thing for me. They mean something else for you. It can never go anywhere on my side and it's hurting you what we're doing. And so we're just going to stop doing that. We're not going to be cuddle buddies. We're not going to go out to bars and get drunk and make out. I'm no longer going to allow you to pour your sexual attention and interest into me when you should be taking that sexual energy and that desire and turning this town upside down, looking for a girl or a guy who can be your boyfriend or girlfriend. Cause I can't be your boyfriend certainly. And I have no interest in being a girlfriend. So boundaries, no more of this. We are friends who don't make out, which is most of the kinds of friendships in the world. We're going to have that kind of friendship now going forward. The friends who don't get drunk, make out, cuddle, whatever else, that's over because it's hurting you. And I don't want to be a party to hurting you. And I don't want to be in a bar with you and sending out the signal that you are unavailable to everyone else in the bar because you are available. But if I'm hanging off you and you're hanging off me, other women, other men who might be attracted to you are not going to approach unless they're assholes. And then you're not certainly not going to want to date an asshole. But other decent people who might be interested in you, you might be interested in, they're not going to offer to buy you a drink. They're not going to come up and ask you to dance. They're not going to hit on you. They're not going to make eyes at you. And so I'm costing you potential partners, people who could be your girlfriend, people who could be your boyfriend. And I'm not going to do that anymore. Because I'm going to be a good friend, which means I'm going to be a friend with boundaries. And I am not going to be the asshole anymore. Hi, Dan. I'm calling because I'm curious about gags and bondage, particularly. My boyfriend likes to gag me, as in, like, put something either, like, in or over my mouth when we're having sex, which is fine. Like, that's not really my kink, but he really likes it. And I like bondage, so it's fun. But I'm wondering because I can't say anything and something's over my mouth. How do you use a safe word or how do you communicate when to 
stop or tap out if your thing is gagging. First, best practices. If he's putting something in your mouth to gag you, it can't be so small or so loose that it can push in and fall down the back of your throat and cut off your air. So you're going to want to use proper bondage BDSM gear. This is one of those things you say to people who are interested in BDSM, interested in bondage. You could get handcuffs cheap and you can get rope cheap, but you're likelier to hurt yourself using those things. So you might want to invest in real bondage gear. And people are like, oh, no, that's too hardcore for me. When it's actually safer, it looks hardcore, but it's safer. Same thing with gags, an actual ball gag, an actual bit gag, penis gag, whatever kinds of gags you prefer that's designed for that. It's going to be a lot safer than balling up a sock and stuffing it in someone's mouth. And you should never leave somebody who's been gagged alone. You never know what could happen. They could, if it's an improvised gag, it could slip down their throat. They could begin to choke. If it's a real gag, a gag designed for BDSM play, if you leave them alone, they could, at that moment, that you're gone, discover that the clams they had for dinner were bad and begin to throw up and choke. Or their sinuses could begin to get stuffed and they could not be able to get uh, enough air. So please, best practices. As for safe words when you're gagged, that's pretty easy. And your boyfriend, if he's going to be the dom top, should have discussed this with you or known to discuss this with you. So you two obviously together need to read some SM 101 books. But here you go. You have a ball in your hand. You have a little rubber ball that you hold. And if you drop that ball, that's you using your safe word. Or you have a pattern of grunts like mm, 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 like four in a row or three in a row that mean take this out of my mouth or untie me or there's a problem and it's you safe wording out. Easy and simple. Either. Both workable. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-something lady living in the South, but I'm from Seattle. Love you. I am a career sports coach. I work with a lot of teenagers and they tell me about their lives and I often you know, do a lot of counseling, but I got one the other day and I want to know if I answered it right. This teenage boy comes up and asks me how he can pull dudes. And I was like, what? Um, and then upon examining a little, he says he's bi and says he's out. And I said, oh, congrats. And I quoted you and said, uh, it's a good thing you're out because, you know, the world needs more people being out, especially when they're by and they're not a hidden population or on not believed, et cetera, et cetera. Told him to listen to your podcast, obviously, made my little plug. Um, and then we got into like, you know, how you show someone you're interested without being gross. Not like, oh, your eyes sparkle when you laugh, you know, because that doesn't work on anyone. You know, the best I could really muster was you tell them something you wouldn't say to a friend. Um, like, oh, I really enjoy your company or I really like hanging out with you. If you think that about your friends, but you don't say it to them. And we live in Atlanta. It's fine here. You're not going to get beat up. But I do think that you should probably be subtle about it. I'm just curious about your thoughts. If we're talking a teenager who's 18, he has the option of getting on dating apps. He may encounter a lot of shitty predatory people on dating apps. Shitty predatory people are everywhere. If we're talking a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, there are other questions you need to ask him before you give him advice about pickup lines for picking up other teenage boys. Like, are you out to your family? Do you have your family's support? Are your peers homophobic? If you asked somebody out or told them they had nice hair or you enjoyed spending time with them, if you said something to them that clearly indicated a romantic 
interest in them. And then that person freaked out and ran around telling everyone else on the team, everyone else in your school. What are the possible repercussions of that for you? 40% of homeless kids, teenagers, or LGBT kids who were kicked out or thrown out after they came out or were outed to their families. So you need to tiptoe through this minefield when you're giving advice to teenagers who are dependent on their families. So before I can tell you what the magic words are, I would want to ask him or ask you to ask him all these other questions. Is he out? Does he have his family support? Does he have a backup plan if he should ever be outed? Does he have friends who are on his side and in his corner? Is he out to anybody else on the team about being bi? The answer to all those questions are yes, yes, out, 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 and everybody loves me and I live in the liberal blue dot that is Atlanta and I don't fear for my safety and I don't fear becoming homeless if everybody knows me to be bi, then you just encourage him to be out of the closet, to look for queer youth support groups in his area, to join the GSA, to see if there aren't any queer youth events in his area that he can begin to attend. And if he's out socially to his peers, to the other guys on his team, if he's out in his school, the other gay and bi kids, guys who may not be out yet, who might be interested in him, will begin to circle him. If they fear being outed by expressing an interest in him, they're going to run from him wherever he goes. But if they're ready themselves to come out of the closet or have that first relationship, they will sidle up to him. So it's really about being out. It's not about magic words or pickup lines. It's about living authentically. Not all bisexual male teenagers are in a place where they can risk living authentically. And that's what you need to drill down with him about first. Hi, Dan. I'm a gay 23-year-old woman living in a mid-sized city in the southeastern United States. I had a question for you about dating when other parts of your life are falling apart. My father was diagnosed with a pretty shitty cancer in August, just when I was starting to date this girl. And long story short, it was decided at the time by both she and I that I was just too depressed and fucked up to be starting to date someone. But the longer this cancer process goes on with dad's chemo, et cetera, it is made super clear that I won't ever not be fucked up about this, especially since this cancer is super terminal. Um, I'm doing much better since the original diagnosis. I'm not depressed all the time. I exercise. I go to work. I'm functioning and enjoying my life, but obviously definitely not operating at 100%. The girl that I dated was someone who was starting to get to know me pretty well, and we had a friendship before we dated, so it makes me think that meeting brand new people to date would be even harder because when I start talking about my life, I sound like the biggest pile of baggage as well as slightly unstable. But I'm interested in meeting people and dating. I'm super young. I want to get out there. Basically, my question is, how fucked up is too fucked up? I know that we'll never be in perfect working condition, that everyone has shit, but how do you not scare people away with your baggage? Slash, should I even be trying to date at this point in my life at all? Thanks, Dan. We talked about good working order last week and the importance of being in good working order and the fact that good working order doesn't mean perfect and no problems and no baggage. It just means functional. You're a car that can go. You sound like a car that can go. You sound to me as if you are in good working order. Some people may be spooked by the fact that you're dealing with a parent with a terminal illness at this point in your life and not ready to partner with you. And we can't just describe that to cowardice uh, or fear of death on that other person's part. If you are dating someone or thinking about dating someone and you find out they're going through some really horrible family issues or trauma, 
I think people will subconsciously realize that it may force them to commit before they're ready to commit because they're going to be in a position where they feel like they have to be as supportive as possible. So people will begin to date somebody. There'll be a family crisis, family emergency. A parent will be diagnosed with a terminal illness or suddenly die and they will bond over the trauma before they know whether or not they really are a match, whether they really are good for each other, whether they really should be together. So dating someone who's facing something like that, I think can scare people off, not just because they're bad people, not just because they're not willing to do the work emotionally, not just because they fear death or the stink of death, but because they fear committing for the wrong reasons. And they may want to wait until you have handled this trauma, processed it, and then perhaps pick up then. So some people may regard the fact that your father is dying as an indication that even if you're in good working order, now is not the time that the relationship wouldn't be in good working order. And you might commit too soon, not because you're into each other, but because of this trauma. And that wouldn't be a problem if people didn't regard the end of a relationship as a failure. If you began to see someone and a couple of weeks into it, their dad or mom got a, a terminal diagnosis and you just bonded and, and, and helped and were there for that person at that time of their life that they really needed somebody in their corner and providing them with support and also distraction. And then six months later, a year later, after the death, you realize that, no, this isn't someone you want to spend decades with. It wouldn't be a problem if we didn't regard a relationship ending as always a failure. It wouldn't be a problem to say, we came together for this intense time in your life and my life, and now we're going to part, and we will always have the memory of what we meant to each other during this difficult time in your life and the life of your family. And we can honor that and go our separate ways and be friends. And people have a hard time with that because the culture says if a relationship ends without one of you dying or both of you dying, that was a failure. And people fear failure. So they will run from someone who has a parent who's dying. So although I think you're in good working order and you certainly sound as if you're in good working order, the woman that you think about dating, a woman you might meet, she might not regard you as in good working order at this moment for all sorts of reasons, some valid and some not. So my heart goes out to you and your family at this time, and my heart goes out to your dad, and I think you need to be there for him, you need to take care of him, and you need to engage in acts of self-care as well. And that can include some dating and some sex, and you should say to the women that you meet or you think about dating – Look, if you want a date date, not just hook up, you need to know that I'm going through a particularly rough patch with my family right now because my dad is dying. And if she wants to stick around and be a help and be there for you, let her. And if she pulls back because that's too much for her right now, don't hate her. Hey, Dan. Um, I am a 19-year-old gay male from the Northwest, and I have a bit of a tricky problem. So I'm, I would say that I'm conventionally attractive. I'm just kind of like a, a Twinkie college kid kind of preppy. But the problem is my body is like completely different when I lift up my shirt. I have, um, I have boobs and I've had boobs since I was, uh, very young, like 11. And so I've seen doctors about it. They thought it might have been a little bit of a hormonal imbalance, nothing that needed to be really corrected. And then it would go away with time. And now I'm 19 and they're still here. So um, I should clarify that um, I was bullied about it in, in gym class and I've had a lot of internal struggles about it. But I've come to the conclusion that I don't want to just remove them because they're a part of me and 
it's, if I want, if I was to remove it, it wouldn't have been for me. It would have been for other people. So like I've chosen to keep them because they're a part of me, just like my sexuality. Um, so I've had trouble with dating and dating apps. I mean, like being gay and 19, I was, I'm in like a, a state of kinder queer where I'm not able to go to bars. Most events are 21 and over. So I tend to use dating apps. And because of this, I've had experiences where people aren't excited about my chest, which is, is fine, but um, kind of annoying when you're talking with people and then you finally meet and then you meet for the second time to, to play. And then they're like, Oh, you have tits. And that's not what I want. And uh, yeah, so that's fine. It's just that it's annoying to have both our time wasted. Generally I've dealt this, by specifically looking for bi guys um, because they tend to like it, but it limits my dating pool. Uh, plus on apps and events for men who like men, people don't walk around with signs saying that they like tits. So um, I've tried being straight up about it, but people are treating me like a freak show on Grindr and Tinder where I get a lot of messages uh, a day, not from guys who want to date or fuck, but from people who don't know how to do a simple Google search about it. Um, so is there a way to balance this out where I'm able to, uh, like field people on these apps, um, on people who'd be fine with this or even like it, but not have to deal with the uh, idiots who are, are curious about it, but not curious enough to actually research it. Like also, what the hell do I call myself? Is it fair to call myself like a gay male? Should I call myself like a, a, a kind of gay male or male with extra bells and whistles? Gynecomastia is the condition where some men some young men will develop what appear to be breasts, breast tissue, mo- boobs, like you described them. Uh, according to Mayo Clinic, in most cases, guys with gynecomastia, the condition writes itself in time, particularly when it develops in adolescence. But in other cases, it doesn't. And there are some medications that may be effective. And there's also surgery to remove or reduce the excess breast tissue on the male. You say you've talked to doctors. doesn't sound like you want treatment doesn't sound like you're interested in the surgery. It sounds actually like you may very much like your breasts, like your tits. And so you don't want to alter them or remove them just to fit into other people's ideas of what a twink body ought to look like and what a male body ought to look like. And more power to you. And I respect your decision. It is going to make dating a little more challenging for you and hooking up a little more challenging for you. And you're going to encounter idiots and people who say things out of ignorance because it's such a rarish condition that most guys will not have encountered someone with this who didn't seek treatment and didn't opt for surgery if that was an option. So there's no middle ground here. There's no compromised position between having to deal with idiocy and having a very limited dating pool or having to opt for surgery and correct this thing about your body that you don't regard as in need of correction. You have to pick your poison, the difficulty dating or the surgery and the alteration that you don't want. When it comes to differences, sometimes it helps to lead with them, even if it attracts some negative attention. Because if what you're looking for are those guys who might be attracted to your difference, your body type, not into you despite the fact that you have tits, but in part because of it, your experience with some of the bi guys you've been with, then you need to just 
brave it out. You need to put it out there as you've done. You've said on Grindr and other dating apps, you need to put it out there, which means you're going to attract some negative attention. You're going to attract some pushback from assholes and you just need to write them off as assholes. You don't have to interact with them and you can block them. But putting that out there is the only way to find the guys who are going to be into the guy that you are. And you don't have to come up with some other term for you than just gay dude. You're a gay dude who has tits that you like and don't want to have off and you want to be with someone who's going to be attracted to your particular body type, which is standard issue, attractive young twink with a bonus feature, which for a bi guy might be great. And for some guys who are into bodies that are kind of a blend or a mix, it'll be a selling point. And that's the kind of guy you want to be with. I wish I could bubble wrap the world and make it safer for you to be out there and be comfortable and you sound comfortable about yourself and about your body without encountering any jerkos. But the jerkos are out there and <laughs> there's something about jerkoness that disinhibits people around, particularly on the internet, just sending off some asshole comment or asshole message. And you're going to have to have a thick skin and pay no mind to that shit. Block, block, block. Delete, 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 and tell yourself that with each block and each deletion, you're getting a little bit closer to the guy or guys who are going to be into you. Hey, Dan. Sex question for you. I get super grossed out by cum. Like, it literally makes me gag if someone comes in my mouth to the point that I've decided I can't do it anymore. I do want to be GGG, so I'm fine with a guy coming on me somewhere, so Honestly, it kind of grosses me out in general. I get squicked out by the warm, pumping liquid squirting all over me, but I'm totally willing to put up with it. How do I tell my boyfriend that I really can't handle calm above the neck without offending him or making him feel like I think that he's gross? Comes a little like Guinness. It's an acquired taste. You've got to knock back a few pints before it starts to taste good. But it sounds like you've made a good faith effort to attempt to acquire the taste, and you may be one of those people who just never warms to Guinness to stretch and torture the metaphor or the analogy or whatever the fuck that was. So you get a uh, no come in your mouth free card. You don't have to do this. You tried and it's not for you and you don't enjoy it. I have controversially said in my column written in my column that the blow job is over when the orgasm starts that if you get somebody off, if they're coming, you don't have to swallow it where the come goes, how exactly the come is, disposed of is at the discretion of the blowjob giver. There may be blowjob receivers who are very invested in having their cum eaten, but it's up to the giver. You got him off. You used your mouth. You made him come. Whether you spit or swallow, let it run out of your mouth, point the dick over your shoulder at the last minute and let him hit the cat. Whatever you decide to do at that moment with the semen is up to you, the blowjob giver. So I think you can say to your boyfriend, just straight up, I don't like it. I don't like the sensation. I don't like the taste and I never have and it's not about you and I tried. I knocked back a few pints and never developed a taste for it and it's kind of the price of admission to be with you and then you communicate to him that you don't think he's disgusting, that you don't think his cum is revolting by being GGG and allowing him to come on you below the neck and not treating his cum like it's toxic waste and being good about it just as he should be good about your vaginal secretions and not freak out or react to them negatively. And hopefully he's going down on you. And remember, ladies, 
you kind of come on his face too. You just come one thin shellacking layer at a time. It's a gradual application as opposed to a Jackson Pollock like burst all there at the end. But a guy who's going down on you, you're coming on his face. You're coming all over his face. You're secreting all over his face, particularly if you're a squirter, then you're practically drowning him at the last second. So just something to bear in mind as you give and receive or a pleasure, as they say. Hey Dan, uh, I've just come out of a 17 year marriage. I was very religious when I got married. I was 24. It was the first person and only person I've ever had sex with. And I don't know what to do now. I'm afraid, I guess. I'm uncertain. I'm insecure. And I want, what does a person like me do? How do you go forward after a long-term relationship? Uh, Anyway, I don't know what I'm asking. I just, I want to be with someone else. I just don't know how. Whether you're getting out of a relationship that was 17 years or 17 months or 17 weeks, maybe not 17 days, the advice is the same. How do you find somebody else? Do you get out of the fucking house? You put ads up on dating sites and you get on Tinder and other apps. Join a gym, take dance classes, do whatever it is that interests you out there in the world where you're likely to encounter people out there in the real world while also maintaining a presence in the virtual world and on dating apps where most at least the plurality, I believe the majority of new relationships get their start these days. You just put yourself out there and it sounds like you're anxious to meet someone else. Maybe you're super horny and you're ready to be with someone else. And I certainly understand those feelings. I think everyone listening has been in that place. Everyone, uh, whatever their age, however young they married or didn't marry, however many relationships they've been in or gotten out of, everyone's been in that place of just loneliness and paralysis and desperation and loneliness, paralysis and desperation aren't particularly attractive. People don't seek out people who seem desperate and paralyzed. People are attracted to people who are moving through the world, doing the things that they enjoy, even if they're not necessarily the things that you enjoy. You're attracted to people who are living and who have a spark in them and who are doing. So what is it that you enjoy doing? Get out there and fucking do it. Not because it's going to get you some pussy, but because it's going to get you out there and you will enjoy doing it whether or not you get some pussy. And you might get some pussy. Who knows? But you will certainly be a more attractive and more distracted person. You won't be sitting at home alone contemplating your isolation and your loneliness and your deprivation. You will be out there in the world doing whatever it is that you enjoy doing. And maybe you'll meet somebody who also enjoys doing those same things or maybe you'll encounter someone on the way to or from the shit that you enjoy doing, you just never know. But sitting home alone, being super sad, no one's ever met anybody that way. As for the dating apps, you're not the only person in your position. Be honest. There are women out there getting out of marriages or long-term relationships that they entered young and naive and often religious, and they're lost too. And you can put out there, recently divorced, just finding my legs, looking for someone in the same boat, 
let's hang out let's commiserate let's see if we connect also i'm going horseback riding and taking dance classes and joining the gym and riding my bike and doing this and doing that if you'd like to come along for any of these activities please join me that last part of it here's the things i'm doing and i'm about that's going to make you more appealing than just i'm sad and alone maybe you're sad and alone too we could be sad and alone together we're sad and alone suddenly and single at this stage of life let's go do something it's going to be a lot more appealing than let's just be sad and alone but but kind of and i don't know how i'm going to tie these two together elegantly but like the twink earlier with the breasts who probably needs to lead with that to find someone that that's not going to be a problem for or maybe appealing to, you can lead with where you're at right now. A little at sea, a little lost, and a little lonely. 17 years, just out of a 17-year marriage, just finding my legs. Don't hide that. Don't cover that up. Put that on the table because there are women out there in the same boat, and you can get together with them to date or dance or go horseback riding or whatever the fuck it is that you enjoy doing and you have something in common something you can talk about something you can relate to each other about while you do something else that both of you enjoy hi i am a um i'm a professional living overseas and uh i recently separated from my ex-husband and it was a horrendously emotionally abusive marriage and uh, i left i had one son and i was pregnant on my second at the time. Um, he since refuses to pay any support, which is what it is. And you just sort of carry along and you go with your strengths when trying to get through situations like that. And so one of the things that I found I was very good at was professional domination. So I am a professional dominatrix, single mom with a day job and all of that is fine and I absolutely love what I do and I found a partner who loves me and supports me and and it's incredible but as my sons get older I realize that I face a challenge in dealing with that with them my biggest fear is that I will raise children who will hate me because I've what I've done to support them and to give them the life that I feel that they deserve as a single parent. And that involves sex work. And I live in a culture now that is significantly less sex positive, I suppose, than maybe I was, my household, my community was growing up. And um, I just don't want to kill myself raising these kids and then have them hate me. But of course you can't control how kids grow up and what they think. All you can do is try, I guess. Joining me by phone to help tackle this one, Justine Cross, a professional dominatrix in Los Angeles who owns and operates two, count them, two dungeons, Dungeon West and Dungeon East. Hey, Justine. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? Excellent. So you don't have kids yourself, but you're very public. Uh, you know, I, I follow you on Twitter. Everyone should follow you on Twitter. You're hilarious on Twitter. And your face oh, is out you. there and, and you're, you know, it's not like sideways pictures over your shoulder. You are a dominatrix and a professional and very out there. Do you have concerns around family? Do you have concerns around blowback uh, and judgment from people in your life who don't approve or don't understand? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do, you're right. I don't have, thank you, I am funny on Twitter. No, I don't have kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, but I, I do negotiate, um, you know, who to come out to. But yeah, for the most part, like I'm out to 99% of the people in my life. Um, and, you know, also, I'm yeah, my, my full face is shown and everything. So, you know, I'm in a slightly different position because I own and operate my own business. Um, I, I don't have any other job. This is my career. So that's how I'm supporting myself. And, you know, I also have the support of my, you know, my friends and, you know, my lovers and also my immediate family does know and approves of what I do, um, or at least doesn't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to deal with that. But I mean, it's certainly, um, you know, something that's always a consideration of like, how exactly do I come out to someone if it's like, you know, do I say I'm a sex worker? Do I say I'm a small business owner? Do I say I work in the adult industry? Um, Something, you know, how do I gauge that. And certainly other people I've known have had really serious problems with blowback of like legal issues and, you know, employers finding out or spouses or ex-spouses and friends and, you know, whoever like finding out what they do and that being a a huge problem. Sex workers have had their kids taken from them because a vengeful ex-spouse found out and complained and took them to court. And sometimes a new partner that they got involved with after who's not the parent of the kids, if that relationship ends, they have retaliated against their now ex-partner by making trouble for them around custody, by telling the exes, by uh, outing them, sometimes even outing them to their kids. So one of my concerns in listening to the call was she says she's found a new partner who supports her. And that's great. I hope that's true. And I hope they have the kind of loving relationship that even if their connection ends, even if they part, that he's not going to be a dick on the way out in the same way that her ex-husband was. But listening to her call, you know, she says she has a full-time job, that this is a sideline for her, the the, the pro-dom work. Mm-hmm. And she sounds like she's in such distress. She sounds like she's almost in tears thinking about, you know, one day should her kids find out that they may hate her for what she did to support them, to give them the life that she thought that they deserved. If you were talking to someone who was thinking about getting into your field, who was that upset or about the possibility uh, and the emotional fallout, should they be outed two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years in the future, would you advise them to not do this kind of work then? I mean, it's really hard to say. I mean, it's like in the age of, you know, the internet, it's like everyone's famous for 15 seconds. It's kind of once it's out there, it's always out there. But at the same time, there's so much out there. How can you possibly find it all? Um, You know, yeah, she was very distressed in the call. And it's like, you know, I think she's doing a lot of right things. She said that she's doing this for her kids because she's not getting the spousal support that she's supposed to have monetarily from her ex. Um, You know, and her kids sounded very young. I mean, it, it just depends on how how out is she? I mean, if she's showing her full face, you know, that might be something that eventually someone's going to find out about and, and confront her, confront her kids. But it sounds like this was a side, a side job, like a a temporary, you know, holding position um, and probably not something that is going to be a a total career for her. um, Like it is in my case, but it's like, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, speaking to a lot of other sex workers, like pro-dom work, and especially if you're independent, it's very isolating, you know, and it sounds like that, you know, I don't know if particular support systems in Ireland, but I'm I'm sure there are, you know, some that maybe she could even just find other people who are in the same, at least even adult industry with her and find out like what they've done or not done. At least she has that kind of support. And also, you know, there's a lot of ways that, you know, you can show up and maybe not 
you're completely outing yourself to your children. Like, hi, mommy's a dominatrix. Like, they're like, what's a dominatrix? You know, I, I have friends who don't even know what a dominatrix is, <laughs> you know. Um, but like, you know, they're like, they don't, I, most of my friends, unless they're in this industry, they have no idea what I do all day. Um, but so, you know, there's other ways you can show up to be, you know, sex positive for your kids or, or sex worker positive for for your kids um, and, and showing up in those ways. So down the line, if it is appropriate to come out to them, or if they do find out that this is what you're doing, that there's already a base, you know, in place that, that this is sort of already accepted and okay. And I mean, she's in Ireland, which is, you know, a very Catholic country, a very repressed country. I'm sure she's doing quite well there, as I know other people have worked there and done very well. So, you know, that, that is also taking into account these like other cultural, you know, norms for, you know, that country and stuff. But um, if she's looking for support, a lot of ways to show up. Yeah. If she's looking for support, she might want to contact the Sex Workers Alliance of Ireland, which is at sexworkersallianceireland.org. She also, it seems, you know, just trying to suss out the timeline here. I believe her kids mm-hmm. are, are very young still at this point. And this right. isn't yeah, what, this, like is, this isn't her career choice or her her dominant career choice. And you know, if I was a kid and you know, I somehow found out at six or seven, you know, by finding mom's work bag that mom did pro dom work, I probably wouldn't understand it and it probably wouldn't be too upsetting. But if I found out my mom was a professional dominatrix because she was arrested at and I was fourteen or fifteen years old and it was in the papers and I was teased for it at school and humiliated and, and and mocked and and bullied because my mom got caught up in some bust that might you know you know the way kids would react to that kids would be very angry and not angry at the culture that criminalizes sex work although exchanging money for sexual services isn't, isn't illegal in Ireland it's the danish model it's illegal to buy sex not sell it but so mom technically isn't the one breaking the law but you know, a kid at 14 or 15 is likelier to blame the parent than blame the sex negative culture or the the regressive, repressive laws that may have caught mom up. And so she does run that risk if she stays in this after her kids are 10-ish, 12-ish, that if it does come out in a way that outs not just her to her kids, but her kids to their peers as the children of someone doing a particular kind of sex work – yeah, her fears could be realized. And so I keep circling back to maybe you shouldn't be doing this work or maybe you should have a four years, five years, save a lot of money and out uh, plan for this. And I hope she's not supporting yeah, her I partner mean, in addition to her kids with this work. Right. Well, I don't I don't know that she's doing that. But I mean, yeah, I think that, um, you know, you have to assess your your risk reward <laughs> on that. I mean, it, it's, you know, sometimes it's something you just do for a little while and then you can get out. I mean, it sounds like she's just recently established herself in Ireland and maybe, you know, eventually she'll have more of a full-time career um, with her day job or get a, a different kind of job or a better job. I mean, but the reason why people do sex work is, you know, it's a lot of money for not a lot of time. And I would assume that she'd probably want to spend a lot of time with her kids outside of her also full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, it's just like, if she's really concerned about being outed, um, besides doing things like, you know, not getting arrested, <laughs> you know, um, having, you know, a criminal attorney, like at least their name or number or, you know, things like that. And knowing what the laws are, screening people, stuff like that, to just try to be as discreet as possible of, of her appearance and, 
you know, personal details and stuff. And, you know, um, Violet Blue wrote this really great book, uh, The Internet, something like The Internet Girl's Guide to Privacy or something. And that's just something everyone should read because it doesn't have anything to do with like sex work per se, but it's just like, what information of yours is out there? Oh, let me check. Oh, let's protect all this, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just make sure that, you know, you know what's out there about you, um, you know, and also have some other, um, I hope she has other support, um, non-sex worker related of being, you know, in a foreign country and, you know, with two small kids besides her partner um, that she's with. If you knew somebody who was doing professional domination, who lived in fear every moment of exposure, who lived in fear of potential serious consequences, angry children, angry exes, uh, custody disputes. Would you advise that person to keep doing professional dom work? Probably not. But again, I don't have kids. Like, I don't know what it's like to, it sounds like she's putting her kids in front of those spheres and she just wants to sort of, look down the road and say, okay, well, what if this happens? Because, mm-hmm. you know, she mentioned like, well, I'm, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for, you know, their private school education, because I think that this is what they deserve. And I'm not getting the support from my spouse. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I started doing sex work, like, because I wasn't making enough money. And now my pets have organic cat food, <laughs> but like, if something happened, <laughs> like, I, you know, like, you know, you know, at least, you know, it's like, I would say, well, okay, guys, like, you know, maybe we're not going to get the nice cat food today, but we'll still be fine. I'm not like, you know, I don't have the responsibility of like putting, putting someone through private education. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's a little bit different, but it's, you know, so it's hard for me to say that I think like a lot of, um, parents like just want the best for their kids and that's what she's doing but I think that like there's other things like we put in place like in terms of um you know uh, even just talking to I mean I don't know if like the I definitely felt like the tremor in her voice and I don't know how much of that was like the fear of doing sex work or just like you know the sadness that she's in this position like Mm -hmm. the you know the sadness of like not having the support of her spouse like the worry of, you know, um, is this okay that I'm doing this for my kids? Like, is it okay that I'm just making the choice to do sex work so I can put my kids through private education? And the answer is like, yes, yes, do whatever you need to do for your kids or like for yourself, as long as you're not like causing great harm <laughs> to someone or yourself, you know, other people or yourself. But I mean, I think that some of that, I just wonder if some of her, her, um, her sadness is just, you know, like the pain of like, this, her her husband like being in this uh, situation with him and her having to do this like some people still choose to do sex work but it's not it's not their number one choice of what they would do I'm sure she'd rather her spouse support her and then she doesn't have to worry about am I going to get outed for being a dominatrix and you know but that's not a viable choice it, it sounds like she's good at it and into it and not mm-hmm. uh, on the yeah. rack about the work itself doesn't sound like she feels mm-hmm. demeaned or degraded herself or it sounds like she found an innate skill and this is something that she enjoys doing and it's a service that she enjoys providing. Her only fear is her kids are going to hate her when they grow up if they find out. But you know what? Your kids might hate you when they grow up even if they don't find out. Your kids <laughs> hating you when they grow up is a risk that you run when you become a parent and there's no controlling <laughs> for it. Even if they never find out about the sex work or the professional domination, it might be because you – raise them as vegans or didn't raise them as vegans because <laughs> you sent them to a private Catholic school as opposed to letting them go to the public school with their buddies. You just never know. You can't right. control for that in the end. Your kids might hate you 
anyway. Justine Cross, <laughs> professional dominatrix in LA. Follow her on Twitter at Justine Plays and check out the two dungeons in LA that she owns and operates, Dungeon West and Dungeon East. Google them. They pop right up. Thank you, Justine, for jumping on the phone. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Dan. Hey, Dan. Gay guy in uh, the East Coast here. I was recently down south on business and had a grind to up with a guy. Wait a minute. Super fun. Great. All's going well. Until he wants me to, like, choke on his dick. Okay. Why not? I can put on the show. So I go and I put on the show and he's getting really aggressive with me. Um, to the point that I, luckily I'm a bigger guy, I had to take my take his hands off of my throat at one point. And I get let him know, no, I'll, I'll choke on it, but let me, not on my throat. And he's like, okay, and he respected it. Anyway, had a great time, finished. He's really, really into like me choking on his dick. I kept on saying, I want to make sure you can't breathe and choke on this and are you gagging and you know stuff like that so afterwards we're you know calming down and about to separate our ways and he asked me what i do for work and i said oh i'm here on business and i'm for entertainment and so here in nashville whatever he then i said ask him what do you do for work true true applied i'm a respiratory therapist and i was like oh all right he says i help people breathe better i was like well that's great a man whose sexual fetish is to have people choke on his dick to where they can't breathe is a respiratory therapist who literally helps people breathe. I'm honestly afraid that one day someone will be choking and it might trigger something in him that will be like sexual for him. Is that like, do I have to do anything with this information? Should I at least like check up on it? This is, I think this goes beyond the foot fetishist who works in Pew Store. This is, you know, something that can actually kind of make or break someone's life. So, I don't know. Am I crazy for thinking this? Let me know. There is a lot of choking porn out there. I don't just mean breath control, hands on the throat choking. I mean choke on dick choking. The kind of choking that this guy wanted you to do for him. There's a lot of it out there. Clearly, there are a lot of people out there who are into this, who are into the idea of choking on a dick or having someone choke on theirs. There are also a lot of people out there who are respiratory therapists. It seems to me within the realm of possibility that this could be a coincidence that he was a respiratory therapist who also had this kink, not that he went into respiratory therapy as a career because he had this kink. Doesn't quite, for me, rise to the level of the necrophiliac who works as an undertaker. This is just somebody whose job is one thing and ironically his kink is a little bit of the opposite. And I can't imagine for a moment that somebody would go to all the trouble of becoming a respiratory therapist so they could go home and jack off about the kinds of clients they're going to see doing respiratory therapy, which are not the hot gay guy who works in entertainment that they're going to meet out at the bars or on the apps, but probably older people, elderly people, people with breathing problems, people like my mother who died of a respiratory illness. These are not the people that your guy is going to go home and jack off about. I don't think this is a legitimate concern on your part. And, you know, Gaming this out, your concern is that he's going to not treat people or not give them the appropriate medications because he will enjoy watching them suffer or thinking about how ineffective the treatments he's providing them with are so that later on at home at night he can jack off in bed thinking about the poor person that was referred to him by some other physician who is now wheezing away in their apartment because he gave them the wrong type of inhaler. Like, 
It doesn't make any sense. I think your fear here is unfounded. This is a little bit of overlap. I think this is a coincidence and an ironic coincidence. I do not think that he is a real and present danger to his patients just because he enjoys watching a hot dude choke on his dick. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old female living in L.A. with my boyfriend. We've been together for roughly two years, uh, but we grew up together in Alabama, so we've known each other for a long time. We have an awesome partnership full of love, awesome sex, trust, and compromise. My question is regarding his family. Like I said, we grew up in Alabama, but it was a huge college town, so it was pretty divided politically. My parents are both social working, free-thinking, artsy hippies who taught me to think for myself and do good to others. My boyfriend's mother and stepdad were a little more conservative and religious, but thankfully taught him the same values, which I am so grateful for because he is so free-thinking and open-minded, and I really respect his values and everything he believes in. My question concerns his half-sister from his father's side of the family. Since I met her, I really struggled to want or care about having any type of relationship with her. Leading up to the first time I met her, she had texted and posted a lot about how excited she was for us to get together, and how she couldn't wait to meet me and see us as a couple. I was so excited to meet her and have this awesome relationship with her and really bond with her. And then when I met her, it was like pulling teeth to get her to engage with us like a normal human. Typical 20-year-old millennial bullshit behavior. I know. Have this awesome, engaging social media presence and then be totally disconnected and rude in person. The other issue, (laughs) even though she's a female and a victim of sexual abuse, she's a raging pro-Trump supporter who consistently posts racist, xenophobic, sexist propaganda. It's heartbreaking especially since she's the president of her young Republican group at college and has a lot of influence on a lot of young people there. As a woman and a human, I am constantly offended, as it as is my boyfriend, who has tried numerous times to educate her and get her to understand how dangerous and awful Trump is. And whenever he does reach out to her, her and her peers just attack him on a personal level. Dan, what should I do? What should he do? We are both conflicted on wanting to even try to maintain relationships with her and that part of his family, but I know ultimately I don't want that distance with them to come between us down the road. We are both here listening, hoping for some more on how to maintain relationships with delusional Trump millennials. Please help, Dan. Your boyfriend's half-sister is a shitty person, and you are not obligated to be in relationship with her. You are not obligated to be besties or have an awesome sister of your half-brother, hang out, drink white wine, gossip about whatever relationship with this person. You don't have to have anything to do with this person. Your boyfriend doesn't have to have anything to do with this person. Blood, you know, is blood, but people can disqualify themselves, not from being your blood relatives, that can't be undone, but from being a part of your life. And you're not bad people if you cut shitty people out of your life, whether you're related to them by marriage or blood or not. And she sounds like a shitty, despicable, disgusting, rancid piece of shit. Don't have anything to do with her. It's really simple. Don't have anything to do with her. I always think of that Armistead Maupin quote from Tales of the City. There is your biological family and there is your logical family. This is a member of your biological family. If you're lucky, if you have good family. If you're tight, then there's going to be overlap between your biological and logical families. There'll be a lot of bios in your logical pile. But sometimes there ain't. Sometimes people's logical family include no one from their biological family. And sometimes your logical family includes most people from your biological family, a lot of them. 
a quorum, sometimes just one or two. But this, this bitch is not a part of your logical family and you are not obligated to have any sort of interaction with her beyond the exchange of pleasantries at familial days of obligation. Funerals, weddings, christenings, maybe the occasional holiday. Hello, how are you? Nice to see you. You escape. You dart away. You don't have to engage with her. You also don't have to follow this crazy person on social media and be exposed to the vile, racist, sexist, xenophobic horseshit that she's pumping out into the world. You can block her. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s heteroflexible cis woman living in the Pacific Northwest. I'm an avid listener and absolutely adore you and what you stand for. Now it's my turn to call in and I'm looking for advice regarding long-distance relationships and guilt. Uh, my boyfriend and I have been together for almost a year and a half. Three months ago, we started doing long distance because of a year-long intense program that required me to move. He, too, just started a year-long program, which is just as high stress as my own. With nine months left to go of our distance, I'm starting to feel the effects of it. We consider ourselves monogamish uh, in that we've been to play parties together and enjoy play with others when we do it as a couple. So part of our negotiation has been fucking around consensually and safely, of course, as a couple, but not as individuals. I've been on FetLife since he and I started dating, and he knows this. Now that we're apart, I've been using it as a tool to get my sexy on. I know myself enough to know that I need the ego stroke, um, and I also don't want to expect him to be the sole person that consistently has to stroke my ego. That pressure doesn't seem fair to him or to us as a couple, especially while we're under the high stress pressure that we're under and at a distance. All that said, I haven't been openly talking to him about my use of FetLife and the people I've been talking to on it. Thus far, I've only been messaging back and forth. Is this something my partner needs to know about? Is it pertinent to the honesty and communication aspects of our relationship that both of us really highly value? How much of my set life usage do I have the right to keep to myself? And with that, how do I continue to engage in the satisfying, sexy online banter without feeling guilty or like I'm keeping something from my partner? I'm really torn. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what I want to tell you. So we're going to work this out in real time out loud. I hope that's not too annoying. You know, this goes to disclosure and you say you don't want uh, to keep this to yourself or you wonder how much of this you're allowed to keep to yourself uh, and you feel like you're keeping something from him. And I think that people have a right to a zone of sexual autonomy and some privacy and even some individual experience and pleasures. And that can just be masturbation and that can just be fantasy. I'm not talking about cheating on someone when you've made a monogamous commitment. People have a right to that. And a need for it. People need to feel as if they're not always answerable. And people need to feel as if they have some private secret things that are just theirs and that they're in a relationship. They're not in a never-ending deposition with lawyers present and under oath. So I don't see the harm in this. And your partner knows you're on Fat Life. You guys have been to play parties together. You have worked out rules where there can be physical contact with others and you haven't articulated rules around virtual contact. You haven't articulated rules around whether or not you're allowed to swap dirty, sexy messages with people and masturbate about them independently of your connection to your partner. I don't see why you couldn't negotiate those things with your partner. It seems to me that having a discussion around swapping sexy 
messages occasionally with the people that you interact with on FetLife is a no-brainer and an easy low bar to clear if you've already cleared let's go to play parties and touch other people together that this other thing should be a big fat nothing unless it plays into his insecurities of you know you're in a strange city you're thousands of miles away from me you're chatting with people who may be more present and available to you than I am at this moment and that may be a concern for him but there are ways to address that concern. So I guess I come down on the side of disclosing this, not because I think you're obligated to or that you necessarily need to or that you don't have a right to keep some things to yourself, but because withholding this is clearly leaving you feel a little uncomfortable and not disclosing this seems silly considering the other things that you guys have already talked about. I think that you two could have a conversation about this where you say, you know, I'm on Fat Life. I feel weird not telling you this considering everything else we've already talked about. Just I sometimes swap sexy messages with people and it cranks me up and it, you know, that need for attention and affirmation that I have that you're aware of because you're my partner for the last year and a half. It, it scratches that itch for me. I hope that's not a problem. I can't imagine a dude who's watched you mess around with other people at sex parties is going to have a problem with that. And if he does have a problem with that, then maybe you guys need to talk about that. What you're probably and likelier to hear when you disclose this are all the ways he's meeting his own needs in your absence that might include some harmless online flirting. People have a real issue often with it being online, with it being email. And sometimes I say to people who can all freaked out because they discovered that the boyfriend sent a dick pic to some stranger on the other side of the world – that if your boyfriend had gone into a bar and some sexy person had attempted to pick them up without any luck, but your boyfriend had allowed them to think maybe he was pick upable for a minute because that was fun and sexy and affirming, you would never know about that. And you might not want to be told about that. That's just living your life and moving through the world. And sometimes people pay attention to you in that way. And that attention is when it's in an appropriate place at an appropriate time is welcome and affirming. It can be unwelcome and unaffirming and inappropriate depending on the time and the place and the people involved, right? Not, I'm not giving everyone my permission to run around sexually harassing people on the bus or the street or at school or at work. But there are times where we welcome it, when we put ourselves out there on a site like that life, when we're in a certain kind of bar or club that's a pickup joint, we may be opening ourselves up to it and welcoming it. And at those times, it can feel good. And your boyfriend in your absence is probably doing it too. And I think that's what you'll get if you have this conversation with him. All that said, I don't think you necessarily have to tell him any of this. You can keep some things to yourself. In a long-term relationship, it's crucial in a way that you keep some things to yourself, that you have a private inner life that is still yours, that you have some sense of autonomy an individuality outside the relationship, that you are still your own person. I don't think you should violate commitments. I'm not giving a get-out-of-asshole free card for people who make monogamous commitments they cannot keep and routinely and regularly commit infidelities. Not smiling on that. If somebody flirts with you in a bar that you went to with friends after work, you don't have to deck that person. Even if you're in a committed monogamous relationship, you can enjoy that. If somebody sends you a sexy message because you're on FetLife and your partner knows you're on FetLife and they enclose some pictures and you rub one out, that's okay too. And you don't have to necessarily disclose that either. You can bask in that a little bit and enjoy it. 
Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 538 to the caller who was questioning the paternity of the baby she's pregnant with. You gave great advice per usual, but I wanted to add that the ultrasound estimates are notoriously faulty. So um, that may not be accurate. The date may fluctuate again as her pregnancy progresses. So it's possible that it is her boyfriend who's the father. Uh, And the second thing I thought of was that it's possible to get a paternity test done um, while the infant is in utero. So that may be something that she would discuss with her doctor that could give her peace of mind. Hey, Dan, I was calling in response to um, the caller who is pregnant and um, her boyfriend is looking at her emails and, you know, telling her who he is. And I just want to say to her, don't leave that relationship. Run from that relationship. That sounds uh, pretty word for word what happened to me when I was seven months pregnant with my daughter, and I stuck around, and um, I thought, you know, he's a good person most of the time, and we all have faults and insecurities, and I stayed, and um, when she was a month old, I walked in on him hitting her. So now I have full custody, and I ran my ass out of there, and I got a restraining order, and I just wish that I could stop any woman from ever having to go through that agony again with a newborn child. So get the hell out of there. Thanks, Dan. You're absolutely right about abusers. And uh, always remember, someone will tell you who they are if you listen. Hi, Dan. This is for the woman who called about her neighbor with all of the Trump paraphernalia in his yard. I would recommend that she find out who the progressive candidates are in her region, uh, everybody from you know school board and municipal elections all the way up to the Senate, and discover her yard in signs for those people. Because the only way we're going to win this is if we get progressive people serving at every level of government. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Want to hear me rant at length about politics with Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Eli Sanders and future Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Rich Smith? Check out The Stranger's Blabbermouth podcast. Read my weekly columns, Savage Love, in newspapers all over the country, including the Chicago Reader. Get your Impeach the Motherfucker Already hats, buttons, t-shirts, lapel pins, and now coffee cups at itmfa.org or impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com. All proceeds benefit the American Civil Liberties Union, Planned Parenthood, and the International Refugee Assistance Project. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Justine Cross on Twitter, and that's an order, at Justine Plays. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk you and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.